This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. I hope you're well, well as well as can be expected after what we've seen over the last seven days. Well, not even the last seven days, what we saw last Sunday when Arsenal played Stoke at the Britannia Stadium. That really wasn't up to much, was it? Kind of uh, depressing and dispiriting and dejecting and demotivating and de delight. No, not delight, but just bad. And it really wasn't what we were hoping for, even though it might not have been too far from what some people were expecting. But those of you who listened last week will will have heard I, I wore my heart on my sleeve very much, in the sense that I, I felt I tried to communicate, should I say, how much I disliked Stoke and everything about Stoke. The team, the manager, the fans tea lady, the guy who marks the lines on the pitch, just everything. And I struggled, you know, I struggled last week to get that across. I think I might have left people in some doubt as to how I felt about it, but I knew what I was trying to say, and I was kind of confident that given everything that had happened, particularly last year with Aaron Ramsey and all that kind of stuff, I kind of figured that our team would be, you know, up for this one. Because even if you played football at a very poor level, like me, and like many of you, I'm sure, that there are teams, for example, that you know when you play them, it's going to be a bit tasty, right? There's teams you've come across in the past that you just want to beat because they're a pack of assholes. For example, a few weeks ago, we played a team, and they were all assholes, especially the fat asshole up front and the little skinny. He looked like Steve Buscemi crossed with Luka Modric, crossed with a famine victim with a giant hoopy earring in his ear. And he had this slick back hair and he was a little cunt and he was always, you know, mouthing. And we lost our discipline, in fairness, that day. We lost our discipline and lost the game. And I got kind of sent off a little bit, and two other people got kind of sent off a little bit as well. Uh, and that happens when you kick people up in the air and stuff, and the ref sees you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse anything. But what I'm saying is, is that the next time we play them, that we'll be a little cleverer in terms of the the uh, the kicking in the air and stuff. But I am more determined than ever to beat them next time. 
simply because I don't like any of them. I don't like their faces. I don't like their voices. I don't like the way they look. I don't like, I just hate them, right? And I know, and the rest of the team knows, that when we play these guys again, we're going to be right up for it because we don't want to, you know, lose again. And it, it, it comes from the fact that, you know, we hate them. And I thought there might be a bit of that to the Arsenal team. Uh, when we played Stoke because of the Ramsey thing and because of everything that has been said and, you know, you're going into the game on the back of the Manchester United win and, come on, we're going to be right up for this. We're, uh, and there, there there wasn't anyone right up for it, apart from maybe Jack Wilshire. And even then, it wasn't necessarily channeled in the right way. It was more the, the getting sent off a little bit kind of way, which is fine at the moment. It happens, it's good and cathartic and you enjoy it, but then you kind of go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And Jack was a little bit spiky, and I at least appreciated that from him. You know, at least he had that about him. The rest of them, even the ones you can normally rely on for a bit of get up and go and what have you, it just wasn't happening. And it was a sort of collective malaise throughout the team, and Stoke didn't have to try very hard to beat us. That's the worst thing about it. We were quite happy. We gifted them goals. We gifted them Three goals. Second one maybe was quite good. A little bit of a deflection and what have you, but you know. But two of them were absolute gifts. And there just didn't seem to be enough motivation or they just... You don't say they don't care because that's not true, but they didn't maybe care enough on Sunday. And I found that quite depressing. Because even though the title challenge was well gone, there was still pride to play for and points to play for and important points to play for. And to go down like that with not even a bang, with barely a whimper, like a mute dog that's been kicked. That's what we were like. It was sort of like sort of a throaty sound. It was, it was bad. I didn't enjoy it at all. There was nothing whatsoever to take from that performance that you could turn into a positive. Nothing. Not the result, not the way we played, not the way we were outfought, not the way we followed up a victory over Manchester United, not the way that this end-of-season lethargy that seems to overcome us uh, is there again. That the lesson wasn't learned from last season or the season before, and it smacked of Wigan, and that was thoroughly depressing but i don't hate wigan the way i hate stoke and that made it even more depressing getting beaten by people you hate is really not much fun at all so uh there's a nice cheery start to this week's uh arsecast isn't it so anyway before i uh bring on this week's guest uh, the rest of the week's roundup from internet joe oh i'm internet joe and here's me 20 second round I can't wait for this stoke away. A chance for revenge. We hate these inbred drooling cock donkeys. We remember what happened last year. They're scummy fans. That wanker Shawcross. How we smash Ramsey. We hate them. We want them to suffer. I bet the players do too. Stick up for their teammates. We want a fight scrap battle. Show them what we're made of. Show them we won't get fucked around. Show them that we are the Arsenal. Oh... Even Internet Joe, the most positive man you can think of, is struggling with this Arsenal side. Oh, well. Uh, Still to come in this week's show, we'll be looking ahead to the Villa game. Uh, As I'm recording this part of the Arsecast, there is no news in terms of the team. Maybe by the time I get around to that bit, there will be, but don't hold your breath. I will, of course, give you the answer to the competition uh, for the uh, exclusive Arse blog iPod Shuffle 
uh, engraved and everything. I'll give you the winner of that from last week's uh, podcast. We've got something from Mick Bender as well, I think. Uh, but now, joining me on the Arscast from France Football, I'm delighted to welcome back Philippe Beauclair. Hi, Philippe. Hello, Mr. Arse Blogger. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's talk about Arsenal's performance against Stoke versus Arsenal's performance against Manchester United the previous week. If anything sums up the problems that exists with this Arsenal team, it's that, that they can play the champions elect and play well and beat them and not look under any real threat throughout the game. And the following week can't continue that good form or can't uh, add any consistency to their game. Arsene talks about mental strength, this, that and the other, but how can he... Uh, look at that and and see the lack of motivation or the lack of uh, will to win that game, especially, and I know it's not the main thing, but especially considering what happened there last year with Aaron Ramsey. Uh, I think that the the performance in itself was um, probably the most pitiful we've seen this season uh, with the uh, nil-nil draw against Blackburn. Um, but it was in many ways more more depressing. Um, but it, it was quite extraordinary to see that because uh, I thought before the game, as I think many people who follow Arsenal, that this was a crucial game, not because of staying in the title race. Everybody knew that the title was uh, uh, out of reach, but uh, to stay in the hunt for the third place and, and, and avoid what would be disastrous um, fourth place and, and and having to go through the preliminary round of the of the Champions League. So it was a game which had, uh, I mean, a huge uh, amount of uh, significance for the future of the club. And it seemed that even though you could use as an excuse the fact that a number of natural you know first teamers were were missing, it seemed that almost nobody had turned up, and the, even the substitutions at half-time, which is pretty dramatic by Arsene Wenger's standard to bring in you know, Bentner and Chamak uh, on 45 minutes when he generally always waits until the 60th or 65th minute to bring in his substitutions. Even that didn't have the required effect. So you felt a group of players for whom basically the season was over and who were nursing the longest hangover in the history of football um, since that defeat against uh, Birmingham City in, in the League Cup final. So yes, it was a, a very worrying performance, worrying in uh, in the view of what's coming. Uh, the game against Aston Villa is not going to be an easy one. Neither is going to be uh, Fulham on the last day of uh, the Premier League, when we all know what Mark Hughes thinks of Arsene Wenger and vice versa. <laughs> so I, I was really amazed by the behaviour of some of the of the players, and I must say that something happened which is very unusual for me when I watch Arsenal. I, I kind of switched off and, and watched the game in a very detached fashion, uh, which showed how little I was expecting, how little reaction I was expecting from that team. And it, apart from a couple of players, I would say uh, Wojciech Czesny were yet again an excellent game. And Laurent Kosciani, who um, certainly did, didn't disgrace himself, um, the others, all of the others, didn't show the kind of resolve you, you, you must expect from Arsenal players. So, yes, it was a very, very worrying performance. And the fact that it happened just after the game against Manchester United, I think, tells you a lot about the psychological setup of that team. They certainly have pride. They certainly battle. I don't doubt that for a second. Um, but they, they saw, um, in a way, after having beat, beaten Manchester United, in a way their job was done that they had proved that they could live with the big boys as they had done against Chelsea, as they had done against Barcelona, the Emirates. And that was enough. And, of course, that is not enough. 
and which in a way was a reprise of what we've seen so many times this season uh, when Arsenal were given chances to come back into uh, the league title chase. And every single time, fluff their lines. It's not just this season, though, is it? Because it's been a, it's been an ongoing problem for a number yes. of seasons now. And you have to. I mean, the worry is, of course, is that uh, this flaw that the team has comes directly from Arsene Wenger, uh, and and that you're looking for somebody to fix something that he's responsible for in a way that perhaps he's not necessarily capable of fixing. Well, I don't know if he's the kind of manager who um, actually is very good at rousing his players um, like that. Um, what he's been very good at in the past has been to, to identify players who didn't need that kind of rousing, but were, were doing it themselves. I mean, I, you know, go through the invisible team and you will see almost every single one of these, of these guys was, uh, was a winner. Uh, you, you, you didn't tell uh, Patrick Vieira or, or Dennis Burkham that they had to fight, or, or, or Tony Adams, or Lauren, or Saul Campbell. These people had it in, in, in their DNA. Uh, the problem is that um, the path on which Wenger has embarked since we moved to the Emirates, um, which is basically to create a, a nucleus of players, develop them, and, and turn them into an extraordinarily uh, efficient outfit, um, seems to have reached the ceiling. Um, but what is partly disappointing about this season is that we thought some lessons had been learned, and there were signs actually uh, in the first month of the season that uh, this team had fighting qualities that maybe we hadn't seen before. I mean, they actually, uh, away from home, uh, the performances were on the whole, apart from the game at Bolton and the game at Stoke, uh, were excellent. And they actually, if you look at the away classification, you will see Arsenal on top of that table. So that, that is mm. a sign that there is some strength, uh, mental strength, as Wenger keeps talking, talking about it. Um, and that, which, which the reason why people are so disappointed, and, and, and far more than that actually this season, it's a different kind of disappointment from what happened, for example, uh, in 2007, 2008, or, or the season after that. Yeah. And so what we're seeing at the moment, you know, this, this altruism, the table doesn't lie, Arsenal is third. Uh, there's a genuine threat that Arsenal might finish fourth, which would be quite disastrous. But, you know, the, the qualities haven't disappeared. The, these players are no less skillful than they were a year ago. Um, they should be more experienced and so forth. Uh, but it doesn't show on, on what they're, they're producing on the pitch. And, of course, immediately people will turn towards the manager, and, and quite rightly so, as I'm sure uh, Arsene Wenger must be questioning himself and what he can get from these players. Yes. Uh, is, is it, I'm, I'm, I mean, when we talk about Arsene's approach and you talk about the way he... He he managed the Invincibles. You don't need to tell Patrick Vieira to fight. You don't need to tell Dennis Bergkamp to fight. It's slightly naive then to think that you can take the same approach with young players who are who are learning the game. And we know that he likes to. And he's uh, never won anything. Yeah, but, but he he likes to work with a, a player's intelligence and let him work out problems for himself. And he views that as a a learning process or or, or a way in which he needs to uh, develop them. But, I mean, that perhaps, amongst other things, is, is an area that Arsene Wenger needs to change. And we can go back and talk about uh, how the mix of experience and youth hasn't been quite right, that the younger players haven't necessarily ha- had anyone to learn from. And yes. I think that's an issue, and that's probably something that needs to change. But perhaps Arsene's 
uh, attitude towards some of these players needs to change as well because you do get the sense, well, I certainly get the sense that some of them are indulged because he's put so much time in educating them, developing them as yes. footballers and as players, that he's at a point where he's he's sort of undecided where he he wouldn't necessarily treat an, an experienced player the same way as he would one of these younger players because he looks at what he's put into them and the last thing he wants is for them to go away and sort of all of a sudden uh, the Caterpillar becomes a butterfly at a different team, that they peak somewhere else after getting their education at Arsenal. But at the same time, unless there's a measure of accountability with those young players, because Mm -hmm. they are indulged, it doesn't create the right kind of work environment for them to develop to the players that he wants them to be, to be winners, because some of them clearly aren't. Well, that, 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 that's obvious, and we could name names, and we don't need to name names because everybody no. knows them. Um, uh, I think there's the, the, several things here. First, there's a question of personal pride, because if Wenger admits that actually, yes, he's reached the limit with a number of his players, uh, it's basically his, his whole project that is uh, in, in jeopardy, um, because the whole project is based on the idea of technical continuity, and getting people to, to grow from the inside. It can be done. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this is the wrong philosophy by any means. If you look, for example, what's happened uh, in Germany with Borussia Dortmund, uh, you will see a group of very young players who discovered um, a thirst for success, a very skillful, uh, very well-organized team, and, and, and they got this winning mentality, and they got it by winning game after game after game uh, to become champions of Germany with an average age, I think, of 22 or something ridiculous like that. Right. So it, it can be done with young players who haven't done anything before. The problem is that most of the core of this team has been in place for a number of years now. All these players have been there for four or five seasons. During these four or five seasons, it's been the same thing over and over and over again. And um, the, the lack of a natural of natural bosses um, in, in each line, you need one per line, is something that Wenger doesn't quite recognize. Very often the question has been put to him, and I've put the question to him myself, is that, you know, it seems this Arsenal team is lacking the bosses on the field, the people who are going to shout at, at each other, the people who are going to uh, make sure that on a corner kick or a free kick, everybody's in position and covering the right player, mm. which is really, I mean, you know, this is cool stuff, really. Uh, it's really ridiculous. And he's always said uh, that he believed in collective responsibility and, and that everybody was a boss in a way, um, which is, you know, philosophically and ethically a, a very commendable point of view, but in football, <laughs> I'm afraid, simply doesn't work. Um, and and what we have is we have players shirking the responsibilities. And one of the most telling signs of that from a technical and tactical point of view, you, you have to look at the way players pass the ball and where they're asking the ball. Um, much has been made of Arsenal possession, for example, uh, including against Stoke, uh, against most teams this season, apart from Barcelona and the new camp. Uh, uh, you will notice that they will go for fairly safe passes, that players will back off from a position where they have to engage into a physical duel with an adversary to create some space. This is not the way to do it. The way to do it is the way Jack Wilshire does it, which is basically you create space by confronting your rival and skipping past him, and, and, and the space is created at that moment. Chesabregas is also a master at doing that. Now, very few other players 
are actually willing to take on that responsibility. They choose the easy option, the easy path. So you've got this situation where all teams are basically playing back in their 30 yards, and you pass the ball laterally and laterally, and you know some of it can look quite easy on the eye, uh, but it also becomes quite boring very quickly. Mm. Um, and you don't have many players who are willing just to take that extra risk. The tempo of Arsenal has been wrong this season, and that's that's one. Uh, technically speaking, that's been a major problem. Mm. It's been too slow, too many touches, too lateral. Um, as well, what we're missing tremendously, and everybody remembers Freddie Lundberg and Robert Pires, and we all remember them, uh, is the fact that hardly anybody is making runs in the box anymore from midfield. Uh, Samian has did it for a while, but he's completely, I mean, his season has crumbled. It's absolutely terrible what's happened to him over the past couple of months or so. Yes. Um, so you, you put all that together and you've got both uh, it's technical and mental at the same time and I think I'm probably leading to something that you would like to talk about uh, this situation could be redressed uh, if Arsene Wenger had around him people who could address this question as, as well as he does um, just like for example Martin Keown did in 2005-2006 in, in, in mm. Well this is what I was going to come to because you, you talked about uh, Arsenal's tempo not being quick enough and people not taking risks and reasons why things haven't gone right this season and you never even mentioned the defensive side of, of Arsenal's <laughs> game which is clearly clearly an issue what I want to ask you though is you, you talk about Keown and maybe um, one of the things uh, that people talk about is a, a defensive coach or, or more yes. defensive coaching. If we look at Arsene, and I think even the, the, the most staunch defenders of Arsene Wenger will accept that he has got to change certain things this summer. Personnel, in terms of the team, yes. that he's got to cut his losses with some of the players that he has invested time in, whether that hurts his pride or not, for the benefit of Arsenal Football Club, he's got to do that. Secondly, yes. secondly, we're looking at perhaps a new number two, uh, because we, we know that maybe Pat Rice is retiring at the end of the season, so a new number two, uh, a new focus perhaps on defensive coaching, a new attitude with the players um, that they won't be indulged as much. So, that, I mean, across the board, there is a spectrum of things that, that people uh, want to see from Arsene Wenger. Is that a lot to expect a man and you've spoken before and pretty much anybody who speaks to him and knows him uh, and the way he operates professionally will will say that he is a very when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com stubborn man is <laughs> yes. that is that not if we all sort of accept that this has got to happen to make arsenal better to improve the team is it not too much to expect from arsene wenger if you see where i'm coming from 
Uh, I see where you're coming from. That's that's a big one because I'm, I'm while you were saying that, I was thinking that in, in a way the situation that Arsenal faces at the moment is not dissimilar to the situation Monaco. Uh, faced uh, at the end of of Wenger's stay there. I mean, mm. he was there for quite a while, as you know. Um, started with a team that was very strong. I mean, if you look at the players he had, it was absolutely remarkable. That, you know, people like uh, George Weah, for example. I mean, he, he had a superb team to work with, and in the first few years, it was absolutely terrific there, absolutely magnificent. Um, probably should have won far more than one single title. Yeah. Um, maybe he should have won a European Cup, but um, circumstances, I mean, this, this famous cup, um, fi- cup Winners' Cup final against uh, Werder Bremen, uh, which happened just a couple of days after an absolute awful tragedy in French football at, uh, in Furiani, and the players were now up for it. But um, at the end of his stay there, there, there were signs which was quite similar to what is happening now, in that he, he trusted some very young players to to come through. I mean, this is actually the the season that he gave um, uh, Thierry Henry his debut in professional football when he was mm. just 17. Not a bad choice, by the way. <laughs> um, but he, th- there were signs that, th- that there was fatigue sitting in there, and that he had come to the end of uh, basically the solutions, um, and he, he couldn't find any other. Now, the, the, what we need, uh, and I think what everybody wants. Uh, is or are statements, statements of intent. And they can take several shapes. The statement of intent can be uh, the recruitment of a new number two that will actually challenge us in Wenger at times when need be. The second type of statement is obviously by, one, uh, getting rid of some players. And again, we don't need to name names. We all know who they are. Yeah. And, um, and, and bringing in some players who in profile experience um, will actually give a lift to the to that team and most importantly it seems to me to the people who go to the Emirates uh, every other Saturday or Sunday sure. because the mood at the stadium is dire I mean that's one of the things that you know we've noticed I mean there were some magnificent nights this season and we should never forget that I mean the the 2-1 against Barcelona was probably the first great great night that we've had at the Emirates, mm. you know, greater than the, you know, the victories against Manchester United. It was absolutely electric. And you thought, why isn't it like that all the time? Well, the reason is because people have started to doubt, because people are, you know, very fickle as well at Arsenal. And, but they, they won those statements. We've got all this money, you know. I mean, okay, I can understand it's very laudable not to spend it on something stupid. On the other hand, when it's fairly obvious that you need an extra central defender, that you need an extra um, uh, central midfielder, and especially in my view, that you need a proper goal scorer, uh, despite the fact that Van Persie has uh, scored 20 goals this season, that, that's three big signatures you, know, you want to, to have at the, at the bottom of contracts. Uh, my understanding of it is that actually moves uh, are afoot, and that... Uh, Targets have been um, uh, identified and that there's a lot of effort being put in by Wenger and by the club to recruit Mm. some fairly big players. Now, how big they are, I can't really tell you at the moment. But um, it's it's what what we need, what the team needs, what the fans need, 
are those statement signings that we are here not just to make up the numbers and to keep up uh, to keep this nice six or seventh uh, spot in the UEFA uh, classification. Sure. We want to be there at the very top. It's absolutely needed that that Arsene does something of the kind. But the problem is, you know, he can take the decision, and who is there to tell him what to do? And you have to now uh, put this in the context of the new ownership. Um, pyramid, where you have Stan Kroenke. Now, does Kroenke want to shake up things? To what extent does he want to shake up things? Um, well, that, that, that was the point I was, I was just going to make. Is it, I mean, we want these statements of intent from, from the manager, but yes. the manager is the manager of the football team. The, the board are responsible for the football club, so is there not, uh, is it not incumbent on the board to also make a statement of intent um, in the sense that they ultimately hire and fire the manager. Yes. They realise, I'm sure, that things are not right at the club. Uh, they realise that fans are not happy. They realise that there's huge pressure on Arsene Wenger. Um, people have spoken before about him lacking uh, somebody to do the David Dean role the yeah. director of football role. Now, I'm not advocating the return of David Dean, but perhaps somebody who can do that job, who Arsene uh, gets along with, who Arsene trusts, who Arsene respects, but ultimately who has his own job and is his own man and can do that. The board have got a bit of responsibility here as well, that they need perhaps to put a little bit of pressure on Arsene Wenger to say the team is good to a point, but it's not good enough. And that you are the man that has to go and, and solve this because, you know, we could be sitting here in 12 months' time. Yes. And if we're trophyless again, the things aren't going to be any better. Now, the fact that Kronke is in place, if you look at his past in American sports, he's somebody who tends to favor the longer innings. I mean, he's not somebody who is going to, you know, bring substitutions on the 12th minute. He, he would rather wait a few games and see how it goes. Um, so... My feeling would be that he's going to stick to the current formula at the moment, but, but his patience can sometimes snap very, very quickly. There, there were examples of that. I, I was talking to a few American friends of mine about his track record in, in American sports, and they said, well, he's very loyal, very faithful to his coaches, managers, give them the best chance. But once he's taken a decision, he's absolutely implacable, mm. and he does it very, very quickly. He moves very, very swiftly. So um, the problem is that Kroenker is not really a football man. Um, I don't think he knows very much about Arsenal Football Club. I don't think he knows very much about football full stop, mm-hmm. uh, even if he's tried to learn and done his best and so forth. But he's not somebody who's steeped in football. Uh, far less, for example, than John W. Henry at, at Liverpool, who seems to have a, a fair understanding of what the club is about. Uh, I don't get this feeling with Stan Kroenker at all. I'm, I'm just wondering... The, the, uh, one of the questions he's asking himself is, well, if we got rid of Arsene Wenger, which is the question I'm asking you and I'm asking everybody and I'm asking myself, mm. well, who would you take? Of course, change is scary. And it is one of those questions that people throw, who would you hire to replace Arsene Wenger? I don't have to answer that. And you don't have to answer that. Neither of us do. We simply have to live with it and react to it. But, yes. you know, um, that the, the, the issue of of his future is certainly 
is certainly uh, up in the air at the moment, I think. I don't expect anything to change. I certainly don't expect anything to change this summer. But uh, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's the combination of statements that we need uh, from Arsene himself and from the club to show that they want uh, success and that they're willing to challenge the manager as well. I think that's, uh, that's really important. Well, indeed, um, but, but the club hasn't been particularly good in its communication recently. I mean, I don't no. know if it is a, a consequence of, you know, the takeover by Stan Kroenke, the fact that Usmanov uh, has said very clearly he wouldn't sell his shares, the fact that uh, the Arsenal Supporters Trust has come up as well, saying that it was very important to keep, you know, diverse ownership and so forth. It's a very strange climate. This and, and uh, the attitude of people at the ground, I mean, I've, I've been at every single home game, uh, this season, and 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 you, and you wonder, you know, well, what exactly can you do? Um, and you come up with the answer. Well, probably the best thing to do is for Arsenal to stay in place, um, to realise that there is one moment where he needs to change his policy, and that yes, it's all right to spend money. It's all right to spend money, Arsenal. We've got it. That's mm-hmm. all right. We didn't need to raise up the uh, season ticket prices, which was probably one of the most catastrophic uh, decisions taken by the club in, in recent memory. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that you would feel the same way about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's ab- totally absurd. Um, you know, when, when the club is, is, is cash flow positive, when the fans are really struggling, when we already have, we don't have the most expensive season tickets in, in the country. Actually, Liverpool have this uh, title, if you can believe it. Um, but uh, and it, it was the wrong signal to send. To, to, to send, particularly at the time when people were criticising uh, the club and the manager so openly. Now, one thing that really worries me, and that's you know from somebody who is also being at most uh, press conferences with with, with Arsene Wenger uh, this season, is that um, his attitude has changed. Uh, I, I find him very defensive, borderline paranoid, paranoiac, or paranoid. Um, in his dealings with the press, feeling under threat, um, always defending his players and his decisions. Uh, after most games where things didn't quite go Arsenal's way, very often, you know, we always come back to the same thing, talking about the mental strength of the team and this and this and that and the progress which has been made. And it's a, it's a record that we've heard so many times that it's getting boring. And the thing as well, this means there has been a breakdown in the relationship between Arsenal and the mass media in, in this country. And which, of course, is just a detail, but it's a telling, it's a telling detail. Mm. Uh, we've lost some of the goodwill that the media had. Uh, we've lost some of the goodwill maybe some referees had as well uh, because there's been so much vituperation and, and criticism of this and this and that and the incapacity of looking things in the face and saying, well, we did this wrong, we did this wrong. The players didn't do what they should have been doing. Um, you know, don't ask them, please, you know, when uh, Bollock a player, Bollock Danielson, when, he, when he's not capable of passing the ball forward for 90 minutes, you know, what's wrong with it? Mm. And, 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 but you can sense that there's so much pride in what he has done. He's invested so much of himself, selflessly, that he can't quite face up to that. Uh, in private, I'm sure he thinks about it all the time. But he has to pass this moment. And it's not too late for that. When he is uh, he's able to realize that, yes, he can make, make mistakes too. And it's not when people say, Arsene, maybe you made a mistake here that they're against him or against the club, sometimes they might just try to help. Mm. But unfortunately, he's been put in a position throughout the years 
because of the departure of David Dean, because of the way, because of Dennis Isman's being, being, being ill, uh, because of the problems in the board, the, the vacancy of power within the board, where he's basically the only, well, he's the only master on board. And anything that is threatening or criticizing his position is something he takes extremely badly. And I can understand that, you know, uh, on a personal, from a personal point of view, I can totally understand that. Uh, it's a kind of cabin fever, isn't it? Sure. So, um, well, but I again, mean, you know, is there a better a man, a better man to lead Arsenal forward? I'm not too sure about that. Um, all I'm hoping is that there will be something happening in in Arsenal's mind that will unlock. A few, a few problems which have been here for a very long time. All right, Philippe, we better leave it there. It's uh, going to be very interesting because clearly um, a lot needs to happen this summer, and yeah. not just with the checkbook. And uh, from everything you're talking about, it just it, it does make you wonder. But we better leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Really interesting as always. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed to Philippe Auclair from France Football, who does indeed make my job recording the Arscast an awful lot easier when he's on. We'll have him back next season. And there is... A huge amount to do this summer, isn't there? When you think about it and you step back and you look at what needs to happen and what actually needs to happen, not just what we want to happen, but what needs to happen and what is probably going to happen, it's um, kind of daunting, but it's also quite exciting. And the more I speak to people and the more information I get from people, the more I'm convinced it's going to be a really, really busy summer at Arsenal in terms of comings and goings, in terms of just things in general that are going to happen at the football club. We're talking about new number twos and maybe new approaches and who knows what else. But I think it is going to be a really, really busy summer. And for those of us that have to produce a blog every day, uh, that's quite the godsend. I'd rather it was a quieter summer and we were sitting around basking in the glow of trophies. But there you go. Beggars, choosers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Still to come, competition info. And uh, we'll be looking ahead to the Villa game in a very brief fashion uh, because there's still very little team news. Uh, Right now, though, this fella... It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. Hello there, I'm Mick Benner, and I'm the greatest striker to ever live. I'm pardon David Villa, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Klaasian Hunteler, and Harry Andre Flo. Before I embarked on my highly successful footballing career, I was also an inventor. It's true. Look around your house. At your computer. I invented the inkjet printer. Or the CD burner. The hoover. In your kitchen, I done the cooker, the toaster, the mixer and the blender. I also invented clothes that you might wear. Like the iron jumper. People said, oh my god, McBanner, you're so awesome. We can't believe you thought to do that with sheep's wool and you made the iron amazing. I also invented things that you wear on your feet as well, like the sneaker or highly charged weapons in space, like lightsaber. But there's one thing down all the years that I wished I'd invented, but I never got around to. Do you know who it was? An invisible cloak that shoot poison-tipped exploding hedgehogs. That'd have been epic, like. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner, or in Deadly. Okay, time for the competition from last week's 200th Arsecast, and the prize was an exclusive Arseblog engraved iPod shuffle, as you can hear. 
That is actually an iPod shuffle and not a box of big pens that I'm rattling around. And uh, the question I asked you was something about which uh, man in what was the recurring character on the Arscast. Uh, the man in the grocery store, the man in the bar, the man in the hardware shop, something, something, something. And of course, the answer was the man in the bar. Thank you very much to the person who entered and said the man from East Lower. Uh, I guess I had to accept that as the right answer as well. Um, however, it wasn't the answer uh, that was picked out. Uh, the winner, as selected by the random number generator, is Milton Brown from Jamaica. So well done to you, Milton Brown from Jamaica. I will uh, be in touch and we'll get this uh, exclusive box of uh, big pens out to you in the post as soon as we possibly can. And remember, if you do want to get your hands on one of these exclusive uh, Arseblog iPod shuffles. You can do that uh, by going to store.arseblog.com. Anything that is bought in the store, from a mug to a print to a T-shirt, uh, goes into a draw every single month to win one of these Arseblog iPods. So uh, do check it out if you fancy one. Just buy something from the store. Keep Arseblog alive. Keep me in gruel and Tesco value whiskey. It's store.arseblog.com. So have at it. Now, um, there is no team news ahead of Sunday's game against Aston Villa. Villa, Manchester City's win over Spurs during the week means that they're uh, uh, qualified for at least Champions League qualification round. And there's only two points between us and Manchester City. So we've got to really uh, make sure that we win this game on Sunday against Aston Villa. I believe Cesc will be back and there is some hope over in Nasri as well. Um, I don't know what to say about the game. What can you predict? Which Arsenal will turn up? Hopefully a better Arsenal than the one we saw against Stoke. When we've wanted them to respond in general, they kind of have responded. Villa have nothing whatsoever to play for. And we do need to make sure that we get third spot. Um, So a win is absolutely crucial. And that doesn't guarantee us third spot either because we could go to the final game of the season. Man City, I don't know who they're playing, but we're playing Fulham away and not always an easy game. So we are going to have to be on our toes for the last two games and make sure that we finish third. Uh, because anything less than that would just be a pain in the fucking hole, I think uh, you would say. A um, couple of small things. There's this um, walk uh, organized by the Where Has Our Arsenal Gone group, uh, the Black Scarf movement, um, uh, and it seems to have taken on a life uh, of its own. Um, I think I gave my opinion on the Black Scarf thing on, on the blog, and um it seems to have been hijacked a little bit by people who want to make it into an anti and Wenger or Wenger out protest. And I was speaking to one of the guys from the Black Scarf uh, crowd, and they were keen to stress that it was not a Wenger out protest. It was a walk uh, to show that they were dissatisfied with various things at the club that were in the manifesto that they published. So um, that's entirely up to them, of course. But it's not, uh, from their point of view anyway, a Wenger out protest, whether it uh, develops into that remains to be seen and we'll have to see what happens and also um the uh the lap of appreciation thing at the end and i know there's talk of people doing things like turning their back on the players and uh, walking out and that's fine lots of people will leave but uh, i thought the point of the lap of appreciation was for the players to show their appreciation to the fans they're not going around on a lap of honor looking for kudos for what they did this season i suspect the vast majority of them will be kind of embarrassed by it, at doing it, given the way everything has happened. And they're not looking for applause, they're looking to thank the fans for their support. And maybe that's just uh, something that's worth remembering. That's all. 
Um, so here we are. Final home game of the season coming up on Sunday. Who knows? Could go anyway, couldn't it? Could be fantastic. Could be absolutely terrible. And, uh, well, we'll just have to live with whatever it is. And hopefully next week's Arscast will be slightly cheerier than this one. So until then, take it easy. Have yourself a good weekend. Uh, fingers crossed for three points and a cheerier performance than last Sunday's. Uh, so uh, that's it then. What's the bit? What do we do now? Until next week's Arscast. Yes, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello everyone, Tony Adams here with another poem on the Arscast. This week I read in the newspaper with shock and dismay about Paul Merson talking about injections that he had got from Arsene Wenger. It inspired me to write this poem. It is called Pointy Sticky Thing and it goes a little bit like this. Oh, Paul Merson... You're a great person, but you should have kept your mouth shut. All those injections were for our career resurrections. You should have had some more. Oh, Merce, you were never averse to hearing my verse. But now, I hope you work with Phil Thompson forever. Thank you very much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.